welcome to the Worcester Talking newspaper recorded on the 14th of December 2017 by kind permission of the editor of the Worcester News. Your team this week are Paddy, Moira, Janet, Duncan and Hugh. And uh, we have uh, uh, a lovely Christmas tree decorating our table. Well, actually, it's a blossom tree masquerading as a Christmas tree, but very kind of Paddy to come in and help us get into the seasonal mood. As usual, we have this week's headlines, thought for the day, birthdays, deaths and letters to the editor. Lighting up times this week are 3.56pm to 8.09am. This week's headlines are from Friday, December the 8th, Drivers Pay at Country Park? Saturday said heavy snow hits the county and there's more to come. And I think you'll detect a bit of a theme developing over this last week. Because on Monday, the headline was whiteout. And on Tuesday, uh, cocaine plot. Nothing to do with snow. uh, But dealers jailed. Wednesday, we're open for business. Another snow story. Yeah. And Thursday, city sex attack. Nice to have a bit of a change. Uh, Thought for the day. This week comes from Luke... Uh, uh, 1 uh, verses 30 to 33 the angel said do not be afraid Mary you have found favour with God you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, moving on to birthdays and deaths. Now, we, we're going to do the birthdays up to the end of the uh, the year. So, for the 17th, we've got John Denny's birthday. On the 19th, we've got three birthdays. Robert Hayes, Isabel Blake and Mandy Atkinson. And then on the 23rd of December... Uh, the birthdays of Beryl Everton and Mary Lazenbury. On the 24th, Vera Keenan, the 26th, Pete Stacy, and the 27th, Lynette Williams. So happy birthday to all of those people. Happy birthday. Uh, moving on now, sadly, to deaths. Um, Ivy, known as Biddy Addis of Worcester, passed away peacefully at home on December the 6th uh, with her family beside her, aged 86. David, known as Bunny Calvert, passed away peacefully at home with his loving family by his side on December the 3rd, aged 64. Uh, And Philippa Ann Farmer with brackets Snowden, uh, which I presume was her, her maiden name, uh, born on June the 10th, 1963. Uh, Pip passed away suddenly but peacefully on Tuesday, the t- December the 5th, surrounded by her loving family and friends. Derek Raymond Knight of Littleworth uh, decide, died on December the 7th, peacefully at his home, aged 84 years. Albert Hill passed away suddenly but peacefully on November the 28th, age 65. 
and Ruth Hunt passed away peacefully on November the 26th, aged 83 years. Brian John Einight passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on Tuesday, November the 28th, and he was aged 84. Ron Moores of East Bank Court, Northwick, passed away peacefully in hospital on Wednesday, December the 6th, aged 85 years. And James Edward, known as Jim Preen, on Sunday, November the 28th, at Worcestershire Hospital after a short illness. Alice May, known as Topsy Williams, passed away peacefully on November the 28th, aged 93 years. Philip Gibbs, uh, peacefully on 26th of November, aged 90. Christina Louise Higginson, late of Spindlebury Tor, Alfric, sadly passed away at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on November the 24th, aged 43 years. Jean Margaret Hurley passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on November the 29th, aged 64 years. Andrea Patricia Piercy passed away peacefully on November the 22nd after a long battle with her illness, aged 52 years. Dennis Francis Portman, retired foreman of Wildsmith's Farm Malvern, and avid car boot enthusiast passed away peacefully at Court House Nursing Home on November the 26th, age 85 years. Audrey Elizabeth Stevens passed away peacefully on November the 17th, age 89 years. <coughs> Excuse me. Frederick Allen Ward, um, it didn't say when he died. Uh, but his uh, funeral is on December the 19th. David Charles Woody Wood passed away on November the 30th, aged 84 years. Okay, and here's Paddy with the first headline. Which is about the cocaine plot and the daily, whoops, jailing of the dealers. A trusted lieutenant in a £400,000 cocaine conspiracy and the street dealers who peddled the drug in Worcester are behind bars. Ringleaders Ashley James and James Jones and middleman Todd Porter are all serving long jail sentences after being found guilty by a jury at Worcester Crown Court. On Friday, Maurice James and street dealers Samuel Mann and James Southall, who admitted their roles in the supply of the cocaine, were also jailed for conspiracy to supply Class A drugs at Worcester Crown Court. <coughs> Southall also admitted to a Section 20, uh, wounding while on bail for the drugs matters after he stressed... No, sorry, glassed? Constantine Palumbo in the Pig and Drum pub in Lowesmore. A further defendant, Ben Trainer, admitted perverting the course of justice but played no role in the drugs conspiracy. Judge Robert Dukes QC, sentencing on the basis that the conspiracy lasted between 2013 and 2015, and that the gang brought 12 kilograms of cocaine to Worcester, much of it from Liverpool. Sophie Murray prosecuting 
and Street Dealer Man said Street Dealer Man was arrested shortly after meeting with Todd Water on August the 6th, 2015. He was arrested and found with 26.8 grams of cocaine worth between £2,240 and £2,800 admitted the offence in September this year. Southall, also a street dealer, was arrested on August the 10th, 2015, with 84.9 grams of cocaine, with a street value of between £4,800 and £5,400. James, cousin of ringleader Ashley James, was arrested on a train between Worcester and Liverpool with £52,000 in cash on October the 3rd, 2015. James also bought a dirty phone, especially for Liverpool drip. Miss Murray said he would have been a trusted lieutenant of Ashley James to be trusted with that amount of money to go to Liverpool. Ben Trainer admitted perversing the course of justice. Trainer rang Magnet Kitchens to persuade a manager there to tell the police that a kitchen purchased by Ashley James was a former display model and understate the price. The manager refused to lie to police, who were at the time investigating the money laundering from the proceeds of cocaine dealing. Ashley James was acquitted of perverting the course of justice in relation to this at the trial. Judge Duke said he would bear this in mind when sentencing Trainer. Southall glassed Constantine Palumbo at the Pig and Drum in Lowesmore, Worcester, on August the 6th this year. No, sorry, August the 5th this year. CCTV footage of the unprovoked attack was played in court. The force of the blow knocked him backwards off a bench and he suffered cuts to his nose and face and a swollen black eye. Miss Murray said the attack resulted in permanent scarring. Suzanne Francis, representing James, said he had suffered greatly from the death of his father, which had led him to use cocaine, the use of which had resulted in anxiety and paranoia. He had agreed to transport the cocaine to Liverpool to clear a £2,000 drugs debt, money he owed to his cousin, Ashley James. She said James had provided the Crown with evidence used in the trial and this was difficult given his family connection to Ashley James. Judge Duke's QC said James had showed particular courage in entering his guilty pleas which must have been against the wishes of Ashley James, who had mounted what the judge called an absurd defence. Charles Hamer, for trainer, said he had glowing testimonials which were handed to the judge and was working hard to develop his business. Harpreet Sandhu, for Southall, said that he Asked that he be given credit for his guilty plea, he said of the wounding that Savile was drunk and believed he was being goaded after a misunderstanding. Daniel Green, for man, described him as a street-level dealer who had had a good job working as an electrical engineer with a salary of £42,000 a year 
a letter from his mother, who was battling cancer, was given to the court. A letter from man was also produced in which he expressed remorse. He's now clean of drugs, Mr Green said. Judge Robert Jukes QC said it is known and it doesn't need repeating by me just what devastating consequences the sale and use of cocaine on the streets of this city, every city has. Mark, no sorry, Mann, 26 of Larkspur Road, Worcester, was jailed for 30 months. Sowell, 33 of Canterbury Road, Wrongswood, was jailed for 54 months. James, 52... 42 of Nash Road, Martley, was jailed for 30 months. Trainer, aged 26, of March Avenue, Worcester, received a six-month prison sentence, suspended for 12 months, and was ordered to complete 100 hours of unpaid work. West Mercia Police Detective Chief Inspector Carl Moore said after the hearing, we are pleased with this result, which is the culmination of many months of investigation, thanks to the diligence of the officers and other investigating staff, as well as the support and cooperation of the local community, we have been able to reduce the availability of drugs and the threat of drug-related violence in Worcester. What a marathon. <laughs> OK, this is Saturday's headline. Um, heavy snow all set to hit the county, so it's a little bit old. Um, snowfalls are expected to continue into Sunday and Monday across Worcester in the aftermath of Storm Caroline. The Met Office has issued an amber warning, the second highest category, for Sunday between 4am and 6pm, with heavy snow likely over the Midlands, which clearly we had. Road, rail and air travel delays are likely, as well as stranding of vehicles and public transport cancellations. There is a good chance that some rural communities could become cut off, says the warning. The snow showers are likely to continue into Monday morning. Residents woke up yesterday, so that was Friday, to showers of snow which had settled on roads overnight, causing problems for early morning commuters. Snow showers continued intermittently throughout the day, interspersed with periods of sunshine. The fall was enough for two Worcester schools, Regency High School and Fort Royal Community Primary School, to close for the day, while a third, Riverside School, decided to close early at noon. Many more schools in the north of the county, including the Kidderminster, Redditch and Bromsgrove areas, also closed. Forecasters were yesterday expecting snow up to 8pm last night, followed by temperatures dropping to minus 4 centigrade in places. Uh, Worcester County Council has said its gritter fleet will be out and about around the clock. The council is also urging members of the public to report any empty or damaged grip bins on the highways. Do they still have grip bins on the highways? Apparently. Mm. West Midlands Ambulance Service was reporting hundreds of bumps and crashes on slippery roads in the region, but no serious accidents. Firefighters from Evesham were called out to an accident at Buckle Street, Ellington, where they found a car on its side in a ditch. The car was made safe and no people were reported trapped. Okay, continuing on the snow theme, I'm afraid, so it's, uh, we've got Sweet Caroline to thank for this, haven't we, eh? <coughs> snow, brought, <laughs> snow brought much... Uh, of Worcester and the surrounding area to a standstill on Sunday after one of the heaviest falls seen for years. 
The bad weather caused severe disruption to the road network, <clears throat> with some rural routes blocked and rail services were also hit. The snow also hit sports fixtures with Evesham United, Kidderminster Harriers, Redditch United and Worcester City all being affected. Worcester City Council <coughs> excuse me, said the main pool at Perdiswell Leisure Centre could not be opened because not enough lifeguard staff were able to make it in. However, the rest of the centre was open. All police front counters closed at 2pm, but the force assured the public that it was fully operational and contactable by phone. The Met Office yesterday, that would have been Sunday, um, afternoon predicted that the snow was likely to continue falling throughout the rest of the day, not stopping until about midnight. Today was forecast to start off cloudy, but becoming sunnier by early afternoon. But the clear skies in the evening could mean the temperatures may fall to minus 7 degrees centigrade, which they certainly did. <coughs> Worcestershire County Council issued the following advice. Following heavy snowfall across Worcestershire overnight, we ask drivers not to attempt any journeys unless they're absolutely necessary. Our highways team is working around the clock with gritters and snow ploughs to get things moving again as fast as possible. All household recycling facilities are closed. London North Western Railway and West Midlands Railway tried to run services, but inevitably there were cancellations after poor road conditions prevented key staff from getting to work. Tickets dated for travel on Sunday will be accepted by London Northwestern Railway and West Midlands Railway today. That was Monday. <coughs> A spokesman for the two train operators said, We apologise to our customers. We have experienced significant snowfalls across our network overnight. While we have done all we can to prepare our trains, stations and depots, road access is proving to be the biggest challenge of all. Our main priorities are to run what services we can safely, we can safely and make preparations to protect the start of commuter services on Monday morning. Among schools now to be closed uh, were Benchworth Academy, Blackminster Middle School and Pebworth First School in Evesham. But although the snow managed to cause plenty of problems for plenty of people, there was also a fun side to it. Families pulled out sledges from the backs of sheds or got together to make snowmen. Did you make a snowman, Moira? No, I was at work. Oh, right, OK. For some of the younger children, this will be the first time they have ever seen a proper snowfall. Ooh. Mm. Ah. <clears throat> so now my headline is, Drivers pay at Country Park? Question mark. <clears throat> Nature lovers remembers and dog walkers may be forced to pay to park at one of Worcester's most popular outdoor spaces. Bosses at County Hall are considering bringing in parking charges at the Worcester Woods Country Park on the western edge of the city. The park is next door to the authorities' headquarters, which already suffers from overcrowding in its car parks. Bosses at County Hall are tight-lipped about the likelihood of the measure being introduced, but they have admitted it's an option. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman 
said Worcestershire County Council is reviewing income generation opportunities across its entire estate. The review is in the very early stages and no decisions have been made. If charges are made... Introduced, it looks likely to be an unpopular measure. In a discussion of rumours about the introduction of charges at the outdoor centre on the Worcester Six Action Group page on Facebook, one resident wrote, at a stroke it'll kill off dog walkers, park runners and the cafe. But for those who do not wish to pay or who currently manage to park in there and go to alternative venues like County Hall or the Worcestershire Royal Hospital, it will just push the problem into more parking on residential areas. The place is full most days of the week on conferences. No doubt the exclusive segment retained for County Hall staff will be exempt from charges. The chairman of Warnton Parish Council, Ray Morris, said he could not comment as the council had not been notified of the possibility of the charge. The manager of the Orchard Cafe, the popular attraction, said she hadn't heard anything about the matter and could not comment further. Uh, So yesterday's headline were open for business. Businesses in Worcester are hoping to make up for a severe drop in trade after the snow and ice kept customers away. The city is very much open for business, according to Worcester Bid, despite the biggest snowfall in years. Residents who would have been out and about doing their Christmas shopping find themselves snowed in on Sunday and Monday, meaning footfall was down at many city centre shops. Gurinder Singh, owner of independent clothing shop Extreme, said trade had been terrible. We've made nothing for two days, he told the Worcester News yesterday. Yesterday, we had six customers. Everything was at a standstill with all the buses. Nobody could come. Hopefully, now things will be back to normal, he added. Mr Singh, who opened the shop eight weeks ago, said his business made record low sales on Monday, taking just £78 compared to the same day last week when he made £500. He said the shop opened at 10am on Monday, but the first customer didn't come in until 12.20pm, so he closed early. And it was a similar story with other independent traders. Baby clothing shop Me and My Friend in Reindeer Court was completely closed on Sunday and Monday. Ali Raza, who works at Mobile Doctor on the High Street, said, We've been badly affected. Nobody is coming. We're expecting Christmas to start, but it is completely dead. Compared to last year, it's been completely dead. Marcus Mills, owner of Worcester Guitar Centre, also in Reindeer Court, said only one of his 11 guitar lesson students over Sunday and Monday were able to make it, adding, it's been pretty bad. Mm. Wayne Craft, owner of pop-up shop Touch of Christmas, said all of the shops were closing early. Mm. A lot of people have not been coming in on Sunday and Monday, but Saturday was the same. In fact, there were more people on Sunday than yesterday. He said people had been out on the streets, but they weren't coming to shop. They were just coming out to enjoy the snow. 
Mr Kraft, who has run the pop-up which trades from early November to December 24th for several years, said many of the bigger high street names like Next were not open at all in Worcester. A spokesman for Worcester Bid said, The roads and pavements have been gritted and City Council has been working really hard on this. However, one reindeer court trader complained that none of the side streets had been gritted so no one could walk anywhere. A county council spokeswoman said Reindeer Court is private land and so would not be the responsibility of the council to ensure it is gritted. Giles Loveday, property management for Reindeer Court, said he did not wish to make a comment. The bid spokesman added, We have this morning, Tuesday, seen a number of families in the city centre cafes enjoying coffees and brunch, bringing children with them too as the schools are closed. A spokeswoman for Cryngate Shopping Centre said all of its stores were open on Tuesday, other than Flowers of Worcester, which is closed today as it is located mainly outside and the flowers won't survive the cold temperatures. The main shopping centre car park is open and currently has capacity for about 500 cars. Okay, the headline from today's paper, that's Thursday, December the 14th, City Sex Attack. CCT image, CCTV image released. <clears throat> There's a picture of a man police want to speak to in connection with a sexual assault on the woman in Worcester in the early hours. The images have been released by police after the woman in her 50s was assaulted by the entrance of the cattle market car park. The woman was walking under the viaduct by the entrance of the cattle market uh, car park at the junction of Castle Street and Croft Road <clears throat> when she was approached from behind by a man who put his hands over her face and touched her inappropriately over her clothing. The victim then ran off. The offender is described as wearing dark clothing. Investigating officers are appealing for anyone who witnessed the incident or with any information to come forward. Detective Inspector John Cashin from Worcester CID said this was a very frightening incident for the victim and specialist officers continue to support her. We would like to speak to the man shown in the CCTV images as he may have information which could help the investigation. Following the attack, <clears throat> reassurance patrols were carried out in the area. Anyone with information is urged to call West Burstia Police on 101, quoting incident number 63S of December the 12th. Alternatively, information can be given anonymously to the independent charity Crime Stoppers, where no personal details will be taken and information will not be traced or recorded and you will not go to court. To call Crime Stoppers, <clears throat> call 0800 555 111 or get in touch with their website, crimestoppers-uk.org. The sexual assault took place at 5.30am on Tuesday the 12th. Okay, well that's the end of the headlines for this week. So uh, now for some other stories over the last days. Over to you, Paddy. This is a piece about the canal. There was a scene of... Oh, this is a scene of woe for people attempting to use a Worcester Canal path. A 
tree fell down on the canal path near Flag Widow Walk, <coughs> causing chaos for people of all ages. Young sisters were seen clambering over the tree on their way to school, while parents with pushchairs struggled to make their way past following the aftermath of Storm Caroline, which brought snow to the city. Mum of two, Sarah Finlow, aged 28, who was taking her three-year-old son to nursery, said it was a nightmare. I was on the call canal at 7.40 this morning, taking my son to nursery with my daughter. We couldn't go any other way, so I had to go under the small hole on the left-hand side of the tree. I told a few people heading that way what they would have to do, and a lot of people were doing the same. I came back the same way at 1.20pm and it was still down, but I saw a worker in a high-visibility coat writing things down. She said it was a bit painful at the time in, in the morning to come across this and have no other way round. A 39-year-old man, who asked to remain anonymous, said I had to crawl on both knees. I almost got hit in the face, but my glasses protected my eyes from being seriously injured. Another guy went through before me and pushed the branches out of the way so I could get through. It must have added five minutes on my walk to work as I tried to think of a way around the branches. Phil Patrick said, It wasn't that bad. There was very little space. You would have got a pushchair under it. Wouldn't have got a pushchair under it. I had a bit of fun with it and posted it on Snapchat. He said, I got a bit muddy, but happy days. A spokesman for the Canal and River Trust said that the tree would be removed on Saturday. Our team visited the site on Friday, Friday but needed to bring tree specialists who couldn't get there before the light went. We apologise for inconvenience and we're getting it done as soon as we're able to. And they need to get it done sooner. Right. A teacher who admitted downloading indecent images of children has been handed a community order and a curfew to keep him indoors. Aidan Moss, a former teacher at Tudor Grange Academy, was sentenced to a two-year community order when he appeared before Judge Nicholas Cole at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. As previously reported, there is no suggestion that his offending in any way involved the school. Moss of Coney Green Close in Great Meadow, Worcester, had admitted making indecent images of children. This included nine Category A pictures of children, the most explicit and offensive kind, along 22 Category B and 15 Category C images. The 30-year-old formerly taught science at Tudor Grange Academy, a secondary school in Bilford Road, Worcester. Moss was sentenced to a two-year community order and must complete 30 rehabilitation activity requirement days. He was placed on a daily curfew for two months between 9pm and 6am. A sexual harm prevention order was also made which restricts Moss's use of the internet. The judge also ordered that the devices on which the indecent images were found be seized and destroyed. Amy Parks, prosecuting, said the images were downloaded over a prolonged period between 2007 and 2011. The school said that Moss was suspended from the school in December 2016 following the allegations 
and sacked in March of this year after more evidence from the police became available. At a previous court hearing, Worcester magistrates were told that Moss had been addicted to pornography for 10 years and had become desensitised to the content. He would download images and then delete them shortly after he had used them. There was no suggestion that Moss had shared the images with other people or that any of his former pupils were victims of his actions. Moss's offences were revealed when police were called to his address on December the 14th in 2016 and seized various devices for accessing the internet. Magistrates had decided their powers of punishment were not enough despite a request from Mark Turnbull defending Moss that the matter could be dealt with in the Magistrates' Court. Sam Roach, head teacher of Tudor Grange Academy, said the school has worked closely with police following Moss's arrest. Mr Roach told the Worcester News in a previous statement, Tudor Grange Academy Worcester was made aware of the arrest of Mr Aidan Moss on 14th of December 2016 at which point he was immediately suspended from the Academy in line with our employment policies. The Academy formally dismissed Mr Moss from his post in March 2017 after receiving further information from the police. During this time we have been liaising closely with the investigating officers who have been able to assure us that his arrest does not relate in any way to any pupils past or present at the school. Mr Roach added... Like all schools, Tudor Grange Academy Worcester has stringent checks and procedures in place to safeguard pupils. <coughs> all staff are vetted using the disclosure and barring service and must attend annual safeguarding training, as well as commit to codes of conduct that include e-safety and acceptable internet use policies. Well, as you might expect, there are lots of stories about the snow and uh, accidents and so on, but... <coughs> There are quite a few articles about um, heartwarming community responses, and this is one of them. Volunteers and contractors who braved snow-clogged streets to help transport doctors, nurses and carers, as well as generally help clear the snow, have been receiving praise. Volunteers with 4x4 drivers swung into action in recent days, as appeals were issued on social media after the region was hit by some of the heaviest snowfalls seen in years. Charlotte Hunter said Raddy's community care workers were stuck at their homes but needed to get out to help vulnerable elderly people. After appeals went out, three men answered the call. They were great. On Sunday, we had three drivers and another came forward on Monday, she said. They were making trips, one carrying four carers. Thank you to them and anyone who is kind to others. <clears throat> on Facebook, Ricky Sparry sent us a picture of Land Rover drivers who helped clear the roads. He said, these guys in the Land Rovers were clearing the roads for car users. Big shout out needed. Stephanie Garwood said they had a big response for 4x4 volunteers to transport hospital staff and she also praised the A&E staff who braved the weather to get to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The NHS doesn't stop because of the snow and people have walked hours to get into work or risk their safety to care for sick patients, she said. 
Without them, God knows what would happen. They're absolute angels. Dave Throop, environmental agency manager for Herefordshire and Worcestershire, tweeted thanks to agency staff who went out in their 4x4s to visit vulnerable people, as well as patients to their medical appointments. Worcester City Council staff were also praised for their hard work clearing snow off untreated footpaths around the city, including on Worcester Bridge. These 4x4 drivers are quite amazing because they did just offer their services. That was amazing. Incredible. Now, this is a, a piece about the Bard's Tree. An antiques dealer is trying to determine whether he chair, a chair he sold was made from a tree planted by William Shakespeare. David Gray from Grays of Worcester sold the chair to Stratford Business Tony Bird for a three-figure sum. The intricately carved chair was made in 1862 for Victorian philanthropist Frederick Cozens, whose name appears on the back, alongside references to Shakespeare's garden. Mr. Bird said, History tells us that Frederick William Cozens was an extremely wealthy patron of the arts. He was a specialist in 17th century English and Spanish literature with a passion for the works of William Shakespeare. He was content for his name to be on the back and was not the sort of man to have allowed his name to be associated with a chair of unverified origin. At the end of his life, the estate of Frederick Cozens, including his library and collection of paintings, was sold at auction by Sotheby's. We don't know yet whether the chair was sold with his estate. Mr Gray said, unfortunately we're unable to throw any more light on the history of the chair. It was bought from a private client some years ago and we have had it at home because we thought the carving to be especially intricate and lovely. William Shakespeare is said to have planted a mulberry tree in his garden at New Place in Stratford-on-Avon where he lived during his retirement from the theatre. Reverend Francis Gattrell, who owned New Place in the 18th century, was said to have had a mulberry tree in the garden which he felled during the 1750s. Theories suggest that the chair may be linked to a tree currently in the great garden at New Place, which grew from a section of the tree thought to have been planted by Shakespeare. The scion of Shakespeare's tree was planted in 1862, the same year the chair was made. Rosalind Sklar of Shakespeare Birthday Trust said we would be interested in it, to know more about its history. And there's a, pic- a picture of it. It looks quite interesting. Does it look old? Pardon? Does it look old? Uh, yes. Well, it, it, it looks 1800-ish. And there's also... a a picture of the inscriptions at the back, which says 1862, made for Fred Cozens, with the words from the old mulberry tree, now growing in Shakespeare's garden at Stratford-on-Avon. So I suppose that's some sort of authenticity. <coughs> but it's a change from the snow. <laughs> yeah, I've got five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> 
A woman who punched a doorman at a city fast food joint was told a good night out does not mean getting totally blottoed by a magistrate before being slapped with a 12-month community order. Slapped? Was that a good choice of phrase, do we think, for that? (laughs) Amy Wadley pleaded guilty to a charge of assault by beating at Worcester Magistrates Court in relation to an attack on doorman Mohammed Hayani. The court heard Wadley, aged 31, from St Paul Street, Worcester, was on a night out on November the 23rd at Tramps with another female before heading to Shakey's fast food restaurant in Angel Street. Kate Tompkins, prosecuting, said the pair went to order alcohol from the bar at the rear of the restaurant before an argument erupted with staff. She said Wadley's friend then began arguing with two male customers when the defendant tried to stop the argument. The friend and one of the men left the venue and on returning he has been refused entry. Another argument began and Mr Hayani then received a blow to his right eye from Wadley, said Mrs Tompkins. She had a bottle in her other hand but there was no evidence she used it in the attack, she added. The blow left Mr Hayani with a minor cut to the side of his right eye and he was then seen by ambulance crews, though no further treatment was required. In a victim impact statement read by Mrs Tompkins, the doorman said, I don't go to work to get assaulted. Mark Stewart, defending, said his client had consumed a lot of alcohol and had not been out for quite some time. Referring to the two male customers at the restaurant, Mr Stewart said, She punched out at one of the men and hit the bouncer. He described the incident as transferred malice before going on to say that Wadley had recently got out of an abusive relationship and was taking medication in relation to stress. The court heard that the defendant had been before the court before in relation to alcohol-fuelled incidents. Paul Vaughan, chair of the bench, said, We want something here to try and break this pattern. It's all related to abuse of alcohol. A good night out does not mean getting totally blottoed. Wadley was ordered to pay court costs of £135, as well as victim surcharge of £85 and £50 in compensation, on top of a 12-month community order, which includes 20 rehabilitation activity requirement days. It has been an expensive evening out for you, added Mr Vaughan. Something a bit more uplifting now. A city centre church was the venue for a Christmas dinner for the homeless. Some 80 people came along to enjoy the traditional festive feast of Turkey and all the trimmings at St Andrew's Methodist Church in Pump Street on Friday. The event was organised by local churches and concerned residents and businesses. The food was donated by church members and other well-wishers and cooked by a team of volunteers. Jim Harker of the Hope Church, one of the organisers, said, It's something that we've done for several years and we find that it's really appreciated. One of the volunteer chefs cooking the Christmas treat, whose first name is Adam, said that he had been homeless himself several years ago. He said, I really like cooking for people and because I know what it's like, it's great that I can do something to help. As a Christian, I want to help others. 
St Andrew's Church will also be distributing warm winter clothing and sleeping bags that have been collected by the employees of local firms. Over the past two months, employees at a parcel collection service, Pass by Parcel, and its sister brands, the newspaper and magazine wholesaler Spith's News, coffee company Jack's Beans and Tufnell's Parcels Express, have been urging locals to donate any unwanted winter clothing to help homelessness and vulnerable people in Worcester this Christmas. The initiative forms part of the firm's annual Pass It On charity, uh, which will see the firm hosting a series of events throughout the year to help the nation's most vulnerable. Now, in its second year, this year's campaign saw the team receiving an astounding number of winter clothing and sleeping bags, which the team will be donating to homeless and rough sleepers. Okay, we're now going to look at some of the letters that uh, have been received over the last week. So over to you, Moira. Okay, my letter's from <coughs> A. MacDonald of Worcester. Sir, I've just read they're planning to cut down trees on the new road in Worcester. God, what are they doing to our city? If they think it will solve the flood problem, well, think again. It will just make it worse somewhere else. They must have money to burn. Buddy? I actually didn't realise you were going to read one about the trees, but this is a heartfelt one with which I agree. So this is from Emma Simovich. <clears throat> she says, So, I was worried to hear the news about cutting down trees on New Road, Worcester. The trees help to soften the view, provide numerous ecological and environmental benefits, and are a historic part of Worcester. Having read the planning documents and seeing that the general feeling was that the economic benefit outweighed the negative environmental and visual impact, I was expecting to see a better <clears throat> economic argument presented. Instead, the figure of £10,389 million benefit mentioned is only as part of other flood alleviation measures with little breakdown of what this project would achieve alone. I would also expect to see what it would cost in terms of disruption and increased travel times to have roadworks on such a vital road for 12 weeks. Surely it would amount to more than was lost through 12 days of flooding. Either provide the economic reasoning that makes the environmental loss worthwhile or leave the trees alone, which leave will make the more sense. Yes. Well, I'm looking at the letters page from Tuesday's edition of the Worcester News, and I can't find a, I'm afraid, an uplifting letter. I think it's, it is fair to say that most people who write letters do so to raise a negative issue, but I can only read what's in front of me. So there's a letter here from Mark Young of Worcester. Um, Sir, what a shambles our bus service has become. Many buses run with full heaters on in the summer and no heat at all in the winter. Crowngate bus station is so poorly laid out that buses often can't keep to time because of blockages. 
To cap it all, the indicator board inside the bus station maintained by the County Council is so inaccurate as to be useless. It omits some services and shows shows unknown destinations on others. (laughs) Great for a mystery trip. Me? Thank you, Moira. That's okay. Okay, this is from David Whitworth of Malvern. Sir, I recently received a letter back from Prince Harry thanking me for my letter to him on the issue of mental health stigma. In it, he exclaimed how both he and the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge were passionate in tackling mental health stigma, which is so prevalent in Britain's society today. He alerted me to the Heads Together campaign, which he is involved with alongside the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, which has brought eight leading charities with decades of experience in discussing mental health stigma, together in a bid to change the conservation surrounding mental health. Conservation? I don't know, that's right. Conversation. Yes, thank you. Um, (laughs) This blight of mental health stigma, which so permeates our society, must be dealt with. In a modern-day Britain where mental ill health is a growing concern and an epidemic of such ill health is often being mentioned in the press, the antiquated views that mental health stigma presents offers us a challenge for our times. This challenge should not go unchecked for the health and vitality of our nation and its people can be determined by the attitudes and behaviour of the community at large. Thank you. Paddy, have you got a letter for us? This is a letter from Kevin Hard of Worcester and it's headed Councillors Claim as a Lie. So, in your article on foreign spouses... Labour councillor Richard Udall is quoted as claiming that Meghan Markle has also been granted British citizenship. No questions asked. I suppose it depends on who you're planning to marry. This is completely untrue. Miss Markle will be treated like everyone else, meaning that she will have to reside in the UK for five years before she can even apply for citizenship when she will have to go through the same process as anyone else. I hold no particular brief for the royal family, but it is wrong for Councillor Udall to peddle lies, presumably in the hope of stirring up a bit of class hatred or resentment. (laughs) Okay, well, there's a letter here from uh, Peter Nielsen, of course, there. Sir, I don't think Carl Mason... Uh, who obviously wrote a letter on December the 4th, will get much sympathy for his disappointment that the Soviets defeated the Nazis in World War II Mm -hmm. when he states that one form of tyranny was replaced by another far worse dictatorship, the Soviets. Presumably, he would have preferred the Nazis to have prevailed on the Eastern Front and repelled the Normandy invasion in 1944. There were many atrocities and mass killings in World War II by all sides, and Stalin was disowned by the Soviets and the Khrushchev, and was eventually and Stalin was eventually admitted. I think there's a mis a misprint there. Anyway, Mason can't deny that Nazis were the aggressors, and that the Third Reich was a gangster regime 
practicing murder of men, women and children on an industrial scale for being Jewish, trade unionist, social democrat, communist, gypsy, physically and mentally disabled, black, members of religious groups such as Jehovah's Witnesses and many others. The fearful thing about the Third Reich was that it was sold to millions of ordinary Germans as payback for the Treaty of Versailles and the promise of a future where the ordinary German was a superior human, a member of the master race who would be rewarded with lands through war and they swallowed it hook, line and sinker. The thousand-year Reich lasted 12 years and cost over 20 million lives and untold destruction. The EU has existed peacefully and prosperously for over 40 years. That is the lesson of history that Karl Masons of this world need to learn. Okay, so now we're going to return back to the stories. And Moira, would you like to start us off, please? Uh, A historic Worcester Arts Institution has joined the growing ranks of sponsors supporting a major giraffe-themed sculpture trail. The Royal Porcelain Works, RPW, based in Seven Street, has signed up to sponsor a giraffe sculpture with Worcester Stands Tall, a wild in art event brought to the city by St Richard's Hospice. Set to arrive in Worcester next July, the art trail will see an array of beautifully decorated giraffe sculptures standing through the city streets for ten weeks. The Royal Porcelain Works site is currently being redeveloped by the Bransford Trust, to form a new 150-seat art centre for the city, the Henry Sandon Hall. The hall's namesake, Henry Sandon MBE, who was a Royal Worcester porcelain expert and TV personality, joined a small crowd at the site for a celebratory photo shoot with Gerald, the giraffe sculpture. Oh yeah, there he is. He's not got any spots though, he's just white at the moment. Ben Humphrey, spokesman for the Royal Porcelain Works, said... Worcester Stands Tall is an incredible initiative that will not only benefit St Richard's Hospice but the whole of Worcester City. Worcester does indeed stand tall and for the RPW to be a part of this is just fantastic. Organisations from across Worcestershire have flocked to sign up and sponsor a giraffe sculpture with 22 sponsors now on board. And artists, both local and national, are busy dreaming up and submitting imaginative designs for artwork to clothe each sculpture. At the end of the trail, each giraffe will be auctioned to support the ongoing care provided by St Richard's Hospice. To download a sponsorship artist or education pack, visit Eden. <laughs> It's easy for you to say. I'll try that again. (laughs) www.worcesterstandstall.co.uk Call 01905-763-963 or email, here we go again, worcesterstandstall at strichards.org.uk Thank you. Now, here's an alternative Christmas occupation for you. Not for Christmas. A seasonal stately tour at East Castle. <clears throat> There's a chance this Christmas to see how the other half live, thanks to, thanks to festive hours of East... No, sorry, festive tours of East Castle near Ledbury. 
A spokesman said this is an exclusive opportunity to feel seasonal at East Norcastle. If you've ever wondered how Christmas feels in one of Herefordshire's finest homes, East Norcastle will be offering the opportunity to find out this December with exclusive Christmas tours around the property. The spokesman added that James Harvey Bathurst, owner of East Norcastle near Ledbury, will be opening his doors for private Christmas group tours at 5.30pm and 7pm on Thursday, December the 21st. All proceeds from these tours will go directly to East North Church Tower Appeal. The tours will include a look at the decorations, the candlelit dining room table and a selection of bedrooms and staterooms led by James himself. The spokesman added, visitors will also be able to enjoy Christmas carols from the Ledbury Choral Society, accompanied by a mince pie and a glass of wine. <clears throat> James Harvey Bathurst said East Castle looks magical at Christmas and I'm delighted that we have the opportunity to open our doors for visitors. All the proceeds from these tours will go towards the East North Church Tower Appeal. As Chairman of the Appeal Committee, I know that the income from these tours will be a big boost to the appeal. East North Castle, despite appearances, is not actually medieval. Building work started in the Regency period in 1810 and lasted for 14 years with the aim of recreating the impression of a medieval fortress on the Welsh borders. The first Earl Summers commissioned architect Robert Smirk to come up with a design, and hundreds of men worked day and day on the project. In the first year and a half alone, 4,000 tonnes of stone went into the construction. The festive tours cost £25 per person and places are limited. Tickets can be purchased online at eastnorcastle.com or by calling 01531 during office hours. So there's a chance for you. Very nice. <coughs> Okay, well, we've had some commentary about uh, Meghan Markle and her introduction to uh, <clears throat> British society, but uh, the comments have come from people, I think, uh, with a uh, political perspective. This is um, somebody who's actually caught up in, it, up in this in real life. An Australian man living in Worcester with his city-born wife and their two children has fallen foul of immigration rules he calls a rip-off. Last week, after the engagement of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle was announced, Worcester City Councillor Richard Udall contrasted the presumed ease with which Ms Markle would be allowed to come and live in Britain and take UK citizenship with the difficulties many other UK citizens have in bringing their foreign wives or husbands to this country. Jan Marushka 
is one such foreign-born husband. Originally from Australia, he lives in Warnden with his wife Helen and their teenage son and nine-year-old daughter. But while he works in his first year here, 13 years ago, 13 years ago, he was made redundant and also needed an operation. That meant I didn't earn over the £18,000 threshold. So now I have to apply for a visa every two and a half years, he said. Last year, that cost me £800 for the visa, plus a £500 NAS surcharge. It's a total rip-off. Jan met Helen in 2001, and the couple lived in his native Sydney for 12 years, getting married and starting a family. But they decided to move back to Helen's birthplace of Worcester three years ago after Jan's parents died. Jan, who works as a clerk in Droitwich, said, I was on my own in Australia and my wife is local to here, so we decided to come back. But because in that first year I earned less than £18,000, it's been made really difficult. I think I'm a model citizen I work, I don't have any criminal record, we own our own house, our kids are in school, and I'm not sponging off the state. Okay, Paddy. Now, this is a record amount for the City Food Bank, with a picture of uh, two ladies with donated mince pies. Worcester Food Bank has been overwhelmed with the generous response of the Christmas collections. Two collections took place over three days at Warnden's Tesco and St Peter's Tesco last Thursday, Friday (coughs) and Saturday. Graham Lucas, manager of Worcester Food Bank, said, In partnership with Tesco, they invite us every year to go into the stores and give out shopping lists to the public and receive donations to the food bank. They have now packed a staggering 458 crates weighing 5.2 tonnes and are currently sorting them to give out to people struggling for food this Christmas. One volunteer, Derek Austin, told the Worcester News a man came over and said to put up to £50 worth of food in a trolley and he would pay for it. It was fantastic, mind-boggling. The 5.2 tonnes is a record for the food bank and will enable it to provide over 4,500 meals and many Christmas hampers. Another volunteer, Paul Skinner, said at Christmas time it's either feast or famine. This year people have been really generous. The team were also surprised at the interest from the public on the street and have received donations from all sources, including local churches and stores. Another 628 kilograms was donated on Wednesday and the support of the public overwhelmed the volunteers, making it a busy day for food sorting. Graham Lucas said we've been growing in numbers for quite some time and this year we're running about 18% above this time last year. People turn to us because they're in crisis. 
because they haven't got money to be able to put food on the table. The University of Worcester has all completed, also completed a collection in the Student Union for Christmas presents for children aged 0 to 18. Eleanor York, Student Engagement Coordinator, said, We're overflowing with donations. The university is collecting donations in a food drive on Tuesday, December the 12th. And there that's it. Okay, I've got an interesting article for you. This is Know Your Rights on Unwanted Gifts. So, want to get your money back on faulty or unwanted gifts? Here's what you need to know. It's the final countdown to Christmas, and with Black Friday and Cyber Monday now out of the way for another year, many people may have just a few items left to buy. But what happens if you've changed your mind about a purchase made during the shopping bonanzas? Or a friend or relative isn't as taken with that reindeer jumper as you thought they'd be when you bought it? We asked James Walker, founder of Resolver.co.uk, which gives consumers free help to sort out complaints, for his top tips for knowing your rights when it comes to returning unwanted gifts. OK, then. What if I want to return a purchase but there's nothing wrong with it? The good news is, if the item was bought online or on the phone, then you generally have 14 days to return it under Consumer Contracts Regulations 2013. However, usually the retailer will ask the purchaser to return the item, so you may have to confess to the buyer if a gift you received isn't your thing. What if I bought the item in store? These rules don't extend to items bought in store, though you have several rights for faulty or misrepresented items. Some stores do allow you to return items with gift receipts, an additional receipt provided by the retailer with the price not included so you can return or exchange items. You don't need to be the gift giver to redeem a gift receipt, but the retailer can set the terms if the item isn't faulty. Okay, what if the goods are faulty? You've got lots of rights when it comes to goods or services that don't work. However, there are certain time limits you may need to bear in mind. The Consumer Rights Act 2015 says you have 30 days from the date the goods were purchased to return the item if it's wonky or isn't as it was described. This matters because if you've asked for an item to be delivered by Father <coughs> Christmas or got the elves to pre-wrap it, you won't necessarily know if something is awry. You're entitled to a full refund if the goods are returned within 30 days. So what if it's over 30 days? If goods are faulty, you have up to six months to return the items. You may need to be prepared to compromise, though, as you could be looking at a repair or replacement. Even over the six-month mark, all is not lost, though you'll need to prove why you didn't realise the item was damaged or that the problem isn't just down to wear and tear. What about individual stores and their returns policies? A retailer can't ignore the law, but many of them offer better returns policies as part of their deal to keep as a loyal customer. OK, what if the provider of goods or services says the item isn't faulting? A good starting point is asking, does it do what it says on the tin? If not, take the time to explain why you haven't got what you thought you were getting. How can I dodge a delivery disaster in the run-up to Christmas? It's easy to get carried away and click on the order button without checking key details. 
Firstly, are the goods coming from the UK or from abroad? Lots of people get caught out on this one. It's also worth bearing in mind that the bargain online might become less of a great deal when shipping costs are factored in. Many online firms will give you a delivery estimate. This doesn't guarantee delivery, but if it's well in advance of Christmas, they are giving you a reasonable expectation you'll have the item on time. Also, check the delivery address. Many a gift has vanished because of old addresses stored with online retailers. Check your details before you click. And try to allow at least two weeks before Christmas for your items to arrive. So if they're not on time, you've got time to make a complaint and get it sorted. Okay, well, I think I'm a pretty good judge of character and I guess that the two ladies sitting at this table with me this evening are avid bingo players. Oh, so. you, you. Right on the button. Oh. Uncanny, isn't it? So tonight could be your lucky night because a new partnership is set to boost St. Richard's Hospice funds in the new year. The partnership between Majestic Bingo and St. Richard's Hospice marks the start of fundraising for a worthy cause over the next year. The Hospice is an independent charity catering for more than 3,000 patients living with life-limiting illnesses. The Bingo Club is based in Derwent Close, oh, yes. approach the, the, uh, and they approached the charity to set up the partnership after listening to feedback from its employees, employees and lo loyal customers. The club is planning a number of charity games and other fundraising events in the forthcoming months where it hopes to raise £1,000 as a minimum. The club's first charity event, I hope you're listening ladies, is tomorrow evening with all proceeds going directly to St Richard's. Customers on the night can enjoy a whole night of bingo for just three pounds. That's a bargain, that is. Reassignments, fundraiser at St Richard's Hospice said, we're delighted to be working with the team at Majestic Bingo. It is a great chance to raise money for our care in a fun and friendly environment. Working in partnership with organisations is important to us here at the hospice and we are very grateful for the support of local businesses uh, in the community. Peter Reeves, Majestic Bingo General Manager, said, Majestic Bingo prides itself on being at the heart of the local community. The club has provided its customers with a social, social space to make friends and stay active for many years. We are proud to announce our new local partnership, especially a cause that supports people, their families and reflects our values. We are very excited about working together and our team are looking forward to putting the fun into fundraising. Clever pun. Yes. For more on the charity, visit strichards.org.uk. Thank you, Paddy. Now I've got a piece about Black Friday. Black Friday spending was not enough to restore confidence to the high street ahead of a potentially tough Christmas for retailers, figures suggest. Overall, like-for-like like sales fell 1.3% last month following the worst October on record, according to the High Street Sales Tracker from the accountancy and advisory firm BDO. 
Fashion sales fell 2.5% year-on-year, cancelling out positive figures for lifestyle goods up 0.9%, and homeware items, which were up 2.2%. The sales drop on the high street came despite a year-on-year growth of 1.1% over the Black Friday week at the end of the month. The first week of November also saw year-on-year sales lift of 0.4% as the cold weather sparked sales in winter clothing. However, shoppers kept their wallets firmly closed during the two middle weeks of November, despite (coughs) widespread discounting in the lead-up to the shopping event, with sales down 4.3%, and 2.4% year-on-year, respectively, and the signs point to a potentially tough Christmas on the high street, BDO said. Sophie Michael, head of retail and wholesale at BDO, said all the signs pointed to a potentially tough Christmas on the high street. Many sales have struggled so far in the final quarter of the year, and a small rise in sales over breakfast Black Friday won't be nearly enough to deliver a positive like-for-like result in the fourth quarter. We believe that the falling consumer confidence combined with the drop in real earnings due to rising prices is very likely to lead to shoppers cutting back on their discretionary spending while maintaining their spend on festive food and drink. Retailers will be hoping for a repeat of last year's massive last-minute festive buying spree when we saw double-digit like-for-like growth in the week leading up to Christmas. It will be a tough decision for retailers on whether to go early on discounting or hold their nerve and retain their stock at near to full price for that possible final week surge. It's a decision, isn't it? A county firm hit with a number of break-ins has bounced back to open new premises. CycleSwitch, previously UK Cycle Centre, which has been running since 2014, suffered three break-ins in a matter of weeks, disrupting preparation for the opening of a new, bigger showroom. But at the end of November, the new site at the Venture Business Park in Venture Park Weir Lane opened to customers. The company is a specialist cycle retailer offering customers the ability to part exchange and purchase discounted and pre-owned cycle products in-store and online. Adam Broadhurst from the firm said, We took a risk in investing in a much larger showroom to showcase what we offer. And so far, we've had a difficult start, to say the least. We now have all our security in place and we're ready for customers. The showroom will be open seven days a week with knowledgeable staff that ride in an accredited workshop. We welcome everyone to come in and see what we do and have a chat with our staff. During the opening week, the firm held successful promotions and sold heavily discounted bicycles. Mm-hmm. 
Stuffley Housing Association, which manages homes across Worcester, raised £569 for a charity which supports people with brain injuries and their families and carers. Every six months, Fortis Living runs a staff engagement survey to find out what people think about working for the organisation. And the last survey, which took place in October, saw a donation of £1 to headway for each survey completed. With more than 80% of employees completing the survey, mm. this was the highest response rate ever achieved and meant that a decent sum was awarded to Headway. Mandy Fitzgerald, Fundraising and Marketing Manager at Headway said, We are extremely grateful to Fortis for this generous donation. We rely heavily on both private and corporate donations. Without them, we would not be able to continue with our work, improving life after brain injury. Many thanks to all who made this happen. A spokesman for the Housing Association said that the staff survey revealed that 73% of employees are satisfied with Fortis Living as an employer. The Housing Association provides more than 15,000 homes throughout Worcestershire, Herefordshire, Gloucestershire and Warwickshire. A registered charity, Headway worked to promote understanding of all aspects of brain injury and provide information, support and services to survivors, their families and carers. The organisation was formed in 1979 by carers of people with brain injuries to provide a support network. For more information on the charity and its campaigns, see headway.org.uk. Here's a piece about the source makers of Midland Road. <clears throat> After being created by Messrs Lee and Perrins in their Broad Street chemist shop in 1837, the now legendary Worcester Sauce became their biggest seller and necessitated the purchase of additional stores and premises around Worcester to cope with demand. Charles William Dyson Perrins was among those who considered a factory a necessity to take the business forward. Purchasing land from the Midland Railway, now known as Midland Road, a purpose-built source factory was designed and construction completed in 1897. Its iconic orange gates and distinctive aromas are still in place 120 years later. A serious factory fire in 1964 is still remembered by many Worcester residents. It gutted the existing, existing roof and clock tower, but in true Liam Perrin style, production was soon back in operation. Through the great efforts of their workers and office staff, including clerks working in nearby Stanley Road School, production resumed just ten days later. There were, and still are, many imitators. But the original and genuine Worcestershire sauce is still manufactured in Worcester. The Leon Perrins collection is on permanent display at the Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum, which is open Monday to Saturday, 10.30am to 4.30pm, and includes the original linoid jug used to manufacture the sauce. Their loan is by kind permission of Craft Heinz. If you would like to know more about Liam Perrins, come along to the bite-sized talk at the Art Gallery and Museum 
on Tuesday, December the 12th, 1 to 1.30pm. Tickets cost £2 and can be booked. I've got a feeling it's a bit late for that. For more information about the museum and collections, please visit www.museumsworcestershire.org.uk. <clears throat> reception was held at a city centre church to celebrate its securing its future with a £1.6 million uh, grant from the Heritage Lottery Fund. Representatives from the Church's Converse Conversation Trust and the Heritage Lottery Fund joined the Friends of St. Swithin's at the church on Church Street. The money will help fix the leaking roof on the Georgian Grade 1 listed building and fund a new heating system, kitchen and toilets. The building will also be transformed into a cutting-edge sensory space which will make extensive use of sound and art. Will Scott, chair of the Friends of Since Within, said, We are absolutely thrilled and delighted. I want to thank everyone who has contributed. Since Swithins has so many friends and we are blessed to have so much support. We are very excited about getting started. Refurbishment work will begin in summer 2018 with craft skill and business development apprenticeships available. A motorist from Worcester, <coughs> excuse me, who drove two miles in the wrong direction on the A449 will have to wait until the new year to be sentenced, having been warned he may face jail. Scott Futrell, 25, of Chedworth Drive, admitted a string of charges at a hearing at Worcester Magistrates Court last month after he was involved in a 30-minute car chase with police. He was due to be sentenced to Hereford Crown Court on Friday December the 8th, but Judge Abbas Mithani adjourned the hearing until January the 3rd after discovering that Futural was not being represented by a solicitor. The court heard Futural had failed to attend any appointments with his solicitor, beginning with a meeting on November the 14th. I didn't have any appointments, said Futrell, adding, I was waiting for a call from my solicitor. It is important he has representation, Judge Mithani told prosecutors before granting the defendant bail. This is a case for custody. That's why we consider it appropriate that you should be represented. You understand if you do not have representation, you will be required to mitigate personally. You may well face custody, he added. The car chase ensued on October 24th after Futrell filled his car with £45 of petrol in Broomhall, but police twice had to call off the pursuit, leaving it, uh, believing it too dangerous to follow him. Futrell eventually drove down Omsley Road and abandoned the car and was found by police in a nearby shed. Magistrates heard the Fiat Punto car was used by a number of different people and had been involved in other crimes for which Futrell was not responsible. PC Lacey, one of the police officers following the defendant, said it was the most dangerous driving he had seen since he started working for the force in 2005. Futrell was charged with driving dangerously, using a car without insurance, driving a motor vehicle otherwise than in accordance with his licence, and making off without payment. 
The sentencing hearing on Friday had been due to take place at Worcester Crown Court, but had switched to Hereford at the last minute. At the hearing, Judge Mathani asked Futrell which court best suited him for the sentencing, (laughs) to which he answered Worcester. Then we will have this in Worcester, said the judge. Well, as long as it's all right for him, that's okay, isn't it? That's good. Anyway, I can't resist the next one. The headline is, Kung Fu Chicken is a knockout (laughs) for food. A buffet restaurant which was forced to defend its pink chicken has received the highest food hygiene rating. Kung Fu Oriental Buffet in Cathedral Square, Worcester, has been given a level 5 food hygiene rating and also showed the regulatory services how they cook their satay chicken on skewers. Customers had previously complained to the Worcester News about the pink satay chicken at the buffet restaurant, which opened in November. Uh, one of the complainants included Sarah, Sarah Walker, 23, from Malvern, who believed that a piece of chicken she ate was raw. Ooh. The Oriental restaurant said that the pink chicken was caused by the way it's marinated and it was safe for customers to eat. A Kung Fu pers- spokesman said, regarding confusions of the pink chicken, <laughs> I know what you're thinking, Moira. We got an inspection from a local food hygiene officer. We demonstrated our standard cooking process of satay chicken on skewers, and although it's pink, the officer tested and confirmed the chicken was properly cooked and safe to eat. In fact, he said it was rubbery. Lovely. In addition, we got a five-star rating in terms of food hygiene. However, following customers' concerns over pink chicken, our chefs are adjusting our ingredients and recipe to reduce pH level. This is to reduce any unnecessary confusion while still maintaining the good flavour. We would want to thank those who have been supportive and we will continue listening to customers' feedback to help us improve our food and our services. A WRS spokesman said the business was inspected on the 5th of December and found to have very good safety standards, giving it a rating of level 5. Now, here's a piece about Sidbury. With its proximity to Worcester Cathedral, Sidbury remains one of the historically most important areas of the city, for as well as playing a strategic role in the Battle of Worcester, at one time it contained one of the five gates into the city. The south gate stood near where the canal bridge is today and was frequently packed with a teeming throng passing in and out. The crush became a lot easier after 1786 when the gate was pulled down and the last of the five to go. In the same vicinity stands the commandery, the royalist headquarters during the 1651 battle and now an impressive civil war centre. It was originally built by St Wollstone in the 11th century as an August Indian friary the purpose of which was to provide hospitality to travellers who arrived at the gate after it had been closed. In the 13th century, the role of the friar was extended to 22 poor 
and were given shelter there during the dissolution. The house was seized by Henry VIII and sold to Thomas Wilde. Hence the nearby Wilde's Lane. <clears throat> Included in the grounds around the house was the hill known as Fort Royal Hill, which figured so largely in the Battle of Worcester. At one time, Sidbury contained the old Angel Hotel, one of the oldest timber houses in the city, with its cellars constructed from huge stones, which led to the belief that it was built on the site of an old outer wall around the cathedral. One of Worcester's most famous businessmen, John Dent, was born in Sidbury in a property called Number Nine Court. Dent went <coughs> on to fund the find the whoops found the firm Dent Allcroft and Co, which became one of Worcester's best known names during the heyday of the city's glove making industry. Sidbury also included a church house in the guise of the old Torbert Inn. Church houses were created to meet the needs of worshippers who came to the cathedral from outlying districts and played an important part in the social life of the parish. <clears throat> At one time, bread was baked and ale brewed there for those who were unable to bake or brew in their own homes. Inns abounded in Sidbury, and because of their proximity to the cathedral, they were given suitable ecclesiastical names like the Cardinal's Hat and the Mitre. Many of the church houses were later to become licensed public houses, which probably accounts for church and inn being so close to one another in many districts. College Street was created in 1794 and was cut through the churchyard, which had originally covered what is now the whole of College Street and College precincts. Buildings which formed the west side of Sidbury were demolished at around this time. Among them was the premises in which the first copy of the Worcester Postman was printed, the forerunner of today's Barrow's Worcester Journal, a sister paper to Worcester News, and the oldest continually published newspaper in the world. And there are many old <coughs> pictures of the uh, area. Okay, just to finish off here. Just 7% of Brits know the rules for transporting Christmas trees in their car. Just 7%. Okay. A survey has revealed new research from car rental company Enterprise found that most motorists weren't aware that it was illegal to let the tree hang out of the boot or have it loosely tied to the top of a car without a roof rack, or obscure the driver's vision, although I think you could probably work all that out. There's gaps between the leaves I there. I saw an open-top tour two days ago, I think it was, with a tree across the back seat. Oh, yeah. And I thought, they're brave. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Anyway, folks, we've come to the end of this week's edition. I'd like to thank the team and hope you've enjoyed it. So I suppose it's not too early to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, we'll all be back with you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas and Happy everyone. New Year.